1: It's the 30-something movie podcast. Our episode this time around, episode number 352, Boys in the Hood, from 1991. Uh, Very, very quickly, we spoil the movies we talk about, so just be warned. We're going to spoil the Boys in the Hood, so if you haven't seen it yet, uh, maybe go stop this one, go take a look, uh, watch the movie, and then come on back. We are also part of the Scene Steelers Podcast Network. This episode is sponsored by Scene Steelers International Convention Agent, who have a top-class roster of movie and TV stars ready to be booked now for your Comic-Con or event. For more information, check out www.scenestealersglobal.com. And then visit our website, 30podcast.com, where you can rate, leave a voicemail, become a co-executive producer via Patreon. Uh, we just actually <laughs> pulled back the curtain a little bit here. Uh, just tonight, we recorded our episode on the French Connection for our Patreon subscribers. So that one was a lot of fun. We got a lot of good Patreon episodes. We got the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark was recently. We got French Connection. Um, the Guns of Navarone coming up next month. So all kinds of, all kinds of good stuff going on. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's what we got going on. That's our opening spiel here. So now let me, uh, introduce the, the gentlemen that are here. My, my boys in the hood here with me tonight, boys in the zoom, maybe that's what we'll call it. There you go. There we go. So, uh, the dulcet tones of Bo, the love fest, warm How you doing? Love fest. I'm doing well, John. How are you? I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm here. Uh, I have the hall of justice behind me as my, uh, zoom background. Just so I have an excuse to say, meanwhile, <laughs> Patrick Canigallo still on the boat. Is
0: it big enough for you? Oh, th- this boat is just fine. Okay. I'll be here. I'll be here
1: for the foreseeable future. Okay. That's true. You know, Pat, it's, I'm looking at the sky behind you and it's going to be cold. It's going to be gray and it's going to last you the rest of your life. I
2: hope you enjoy it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and Dennis, Dennis, how are you doing? I'm
2: doing good. Good. Good to uh, be here.
1: Did I see today was, I, I saw something on Facebook. Was that your high school that's closing?
2: Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's not happy. Yeah. I, I couldn't even comment yet. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, 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 yeah.
1: Yeah. It's got a very this.
3: strange feeling. I was tagged.
2: I was tagged. I, my old elementary school principal did it. Uh, former students posted. I've seen it pop up and I just can't even like, I can't even make a comment. Yeah. I can't put a reaction yet. Yeah, at this point,
1: yeah, well, that's I, I know my my mother in law, her the college she went to got closed down. She went to Barra College okay. um, yeah. up here in Lake Forest and she got bought out. Uh, it got bought by DePaul.
3: Uh, you're right. DePaul.
1: DePaul. Oh, yeah. Um, and then after not long after that, they, they closed it down and they tore down pretty much the entire campus. And um, you know, I never went there, but I did a couple of times for a, actually a research thing for one of my classes. I went to their library and then a beautiful library there and it's a beautiful campus. And I remember just how devastated she was when they closed it and tore it down. There was a I beautiful saw, old saw
3: theater on that
2: campus too. I think mm-hmm. I saw like an outdoor theater or Shakespeare or something there. Yeah, they yeah. used to do that.
3: You a lot of that.
2: Yeah. 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 That's, that's a sad thing. It's a yeah. sad thing as a, um, you know, St. Joe's high school, Westchester. So if that's the people, if people don't know what school it is yeah, uh, it was an excellent school. Um, obviously, you know, everything shapes people's experiences and that's a, a big part of who I am and the teachers there. And even why I went into teaching and, um, still friends with teachers to this day from there and just a good, you know, it was strict, but it was a loving strict. It was a, you know, it just, yeah. I mean, I just, <laughs> I don't know. I can't even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was four of the best years of my life. Definitely. And, 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 in a learning sort of way, and I'm not talking just academically like everything, it was just a good experience and thankful, thankful I had that. Yeah. So
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, before we jump into our movie this time, uh, this is our first week of the month of May. So this is uh, our time when we usually hop in the DeLorean and we drive. Uh, we drive eighty-eight all the way. Well, we drive eighty-eight back to ninety-one. So we're gonna hop in the DeLorean. We're gonna go back to May of ninety-one. And the top news stories we've got from May of ninety-one. May third. Oh, you know what? I was I was gonna pull this up here. I, I don't think I actually pulled up the the song. So let me make sure I can do this real quick. Just. While I'm uh, while I'm reading this story, I want to make sure I've got the uh, sound effects that I need here. But uh, May 3rd of 91. I you know, got it here. The 356th and final episode of the CBS second longest running series, second only to Gunsmoke. Was this one. As a kid, I just actually thought, you know, I I don't know that I knew there was a, uh, and I got to say the Cowboys stadium features wonderfully there, uh, beautiful Mm -hmm. religious references. Um, As a kid, I just thought that was amazing that my hometown had a theme song. Like, I'm not even sure I recognized that that was a TV show when I was a kid. I was just like, "That's awesome!" Yeah, the city of Dallas. That's that's our theme song. It's da 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 Now it's a TV show. Oh, okay. Oh yeah,
3: yeah.
1: All right. I just thought that was for the city. So they could do worse. They could. They could. It's catchy. It's a great yeah. theme. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um. So let's see. That was May third. May thirteenth. Uh. Apple releases Macintosh System seven that's a while
3: Good ago. Lord. <laughs> Good Lord. Good
1: lord! Just a little while ago. Uh, not to be outdone, though, on May 14th, the world's largest burrito was created. Oh, anybody, look at that. anybody want to take a guess at how heavy the world's largest burrito created was? 30 pounds. No. Oh, a little higher than that.
0: Oh. Oh, well, is it a little higher? Because John was like, no. Like- it's, a, it's a lot higher. <laughs>
1: Three hundred and fifty pounds. It's one hundred fifty. No, one thousand one hundred and twenty-six oh, pounds. That's quite a burrito. burrito. That's just egregious. That's a that's a big. No, Bo, it would be called the L egregious. That's true. The <laughs> the the L, the L famous gr- egregious.
3: <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to see somebody try to do that as part of a contest. I remember with the the restaurant El Famous Burrito, when that was here, uh, we would go over there, like some of the guys from the football team in high school, we'd go over there and we'd try their thing that if you could eat two burritos in 20 minutes, you got a free t-shirt. Two burritos in 20 minutes? Yeah. These are big burritos. Hey, these are footballs, baby. Yeah, these are like yeah. football-sized burritos. You know, yeah. and, and I will say it's it's almost doable. Like some of us got very close to getting that free T-shirt.
3: Oh, yeah. I, bet you, I bet you Perlman did it.
1: Uh, no, he didn't. Actually, the person that got the closest, I think, was Kevin Matthews.
3: Oh, I was going to say Big Ed next.
1: but yeah. Kevin Matthews. Sense. Yeah, no, we got we got, uh, we Not got bad close. Kevin Matthews. Different, different oh, Kevin Matthews. It, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, we, we got close a few times. The, the downside was we always used to go do it bef- right before we'd have a football game. Well, that was not smart. Yeah. We'd we'd make sure the uh, linemen, we loaded ourselves up right before a game. Well, everybody has their own form of (laughs) nutrition. It's true. Pre-game rituals. Yeah. Yeah. Pre-game rituals. And I'd just be worried about other sorts of fumbling happening. (laughs) Hey, just pray you don't end up in a pile with uh, any of the offensive linemen after they'd had that for lunch. Mm -hmm. Mm. There you go. Uh, May 16th, on a similar note... Not really. Um, on a similar note, uh, May 16th, Queen Elizabeth II becomes the first British monarch to address the U.S. Congress. Oh, there you go. There you go. Good for her. Good you know, for she's, her. She's done a couple of things here and there. We here at Police Squad recognize <laughs> the importance of
0: safety. And, well, the idea of having a queen is ridiculous to us. We'll do our job. <laughs> Thank you, Lieutenant Drevin.
1: There you go. Uh, May 15th. So deaths uh, on May 15th. Ronald Lacey from Raiders of the Lost Ark dies at age 55. He played tote. Aww. he was young. Wasn't very old when he died. Uh, let's see. Top sports. Uh, both of these on May 1st. A's outfielder, Ricky Henderson, steals the all-time NLE record 939th base in a 7-4 win versus the New York Yankees in Oakland.
3: It's a great shot of him holding that base
1: up in the yep. air too. Yeah, that was huge. Yeah. And then let's see, uh, let's see. My my second one here is oh yeah, here's here's another Texas team. Uh, Texas getting a lot of a lot of props here tonight. Um, mm, I wonder. So mm-hmm. yeah, I wonder why. Um, so let's see. for this one, it is uh, Texas Rangers starter Nolan Ryan pitches the Major League Baseball record oh. seventh no hitter. Beats Toronto 3-4. At age 44, Ryan is the oldest to throw a no-hitter.
3: Yeah, he was pretty good, that guy. Mm-hmm.
1: He, he had some moments, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you, uh, so I grew up with, there was a song. We had the Dallas theme song a minute ago. Um, I grew up with a song that was all about Nolan <laughs> Ryan. I don't know if you, you guys ever heard this one. This skinny Alvin
2: boy believes his fastball can't be beat. So he brings it and he brings it. And it passes every test They're talking he's a wild man Might be the fastest in the West
1: Well, he's drafted by New York Yeah, I'm going to try to skip ahead to the chorus here. History on the coast
3: Nolan Ryan He's a hero to us all You gotta love baseball Nolan- <laughs> They ball. would make a theme song for anything. I mean, the Cubs had Boy, men in blue, around, the Sox had white Sox. White, uh, that was ball. maybe before the 80s, but yeah. they would do anything. Yep. It was like the baseball was a folk hero back then. Mm-hmm. Write, writing songs about people and teams. and Yeah, teams, that was... Senior teams, senior, teams have their own guys sing the songs I mean, it was just crazy man.
1: yeah well this one was yeah this one was one of my dad's favorite he was like um, i think he was originally from new york and he was yeah. on his way out to california jerry jeff walker is his name and uh of course it's jerry jeff of course it's jerry walker. jeff and uh that makes sense. yeah and so he was sense. he was from new york and he was on his way to california to start his music career and he stopped in texas and he's like "Nah, i like it here and so <laughs> So he never, I don't think he ever left Austin, Texas. And my dad, one of my favorite stories about Jerry Jeff, he just passed away maybe two years ago. Um, One of my favorite stories that my dad always tells is just how, you know, you you think of like musical artists and how, you know, they might get kind of a big head about them and um, you know, but Jerry Jeff always seemed pretty down to earth. Uh, My dad called to order to order a t-shirt from his, either his fan club or or whatever they had. And uh, he called the number to order the t-shirt and uh, the person answered, and I think her, I think her, her name was Susan. And uh, my dad's starting to order the T-shirt, and he goes, "Wait a minute, are you, are you Jerry Jeff's wife, Susan?" She's like, "Yeah, this is Jerry Jeff's house." He's like, "Are you kidding me? Like I'm ordering a T-shirt from his house?" She's like, "Yeah, we just do it out of the house." <laughs> I'm like, all right, that's kind of cool. That's cool. So yes, I, I grew up. That was a regular. That was on a regular. Not that we had playlists back then, but that was uh, that was on regular rotation at my house. He had to tape in the car. That's what you're saying. Yes, I mean he had the was, tape in yeah. the car. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Nolan Bad Ryan, he's a hero to us all. He's a hero. <laughs> he don't mess around, boys. He just throws a mean fastball. Well, that's, that's right. True. Uh, top books for May ninety one were The Cirrus of Kel by David Eddings, and Loves Music Loves to Dance by Mary Higgins Clark top movies were oscar fx2 what about bob and backdraft fx2 fx2 i don't think wow. that made our list for this year
3: no it probably didn't yeah but i don't think did we do fx we did yeah we did
1: okay yeah that was like one of our first uh, it wasn't our first year but it might have been our second year that might have been an Oh my god yeah. fx might have been an 86 movie that's
3: so long ago yeah
1: uh, top songs for May of 91 were Baby Baby by Amy Grant. Uh, Joyride by Roxette. Oh. I Like the Way, The Kissing Game by High Five. And I Don't Want to Cry by Mariah Carey. So, All right. That is it for May of 91. So jumping right on into our movie here, our movie this time around is Boys in the Hood. It came out on the 12th of July, 1991, rated R, with a runtime of one hour, 52 minutes, directed by John Singleton, who died in 2019. Uh, he also directed Poetic Justice and Too Fast, Too Furious. Producer was Steve Nicolades. He was the producer for When Harry Met Sally and A Few Good Men. Writer was John Singleton, same as the director. Uh, Poetic Justice and Baby Boy were other writing credits he had. Cinematography by Charles Mills, who did CSI in Miami, and he was on the camera crew for Animal House. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Germans? Forget it, he's rolling. Uh, music was done by Stanley Clark, who also did Romeo Must Die and The Transporter. Budget was $6.5 million. Box office was, uh, let's see, $57.5 million. Flickmetrics gives it an 82%, and CinemaScore did not have a score for this one. Uh, starring Ice Cube as Doughboy, he was in Friday and Ride Along. Cuba Gooding Jr. was Trey Styles. He was in Jerry Maguire and Radio. Morris Chestnut played Ricky Baker. He was in G.I. Jane and American Horror Story. Lawrence Fishburne played Furious Styles, which is just a great name. Mm-hmm. This is This an awesome name. Uh, Mystic River and The Matrix. Nia Long played Brandy. She was in The Best Man and Big Mama's House. Angela Bassett played Reva Styles. She was in Black Panther and Strange Days. Tyra Farrell played Mrs. Baker. She was in Poetic Justice and White Men Can't Jump. Uh, Desi Arnaz Hines II played mm-hmm. Trey at age 10. He was in House Party and Harlem Nights. Baja Jackson played Doughboy at age 10. He was in Poetic Justice and Three Ninjas. Nicole Brown played Brandy at age 10. She was in The New Lassie and Kids Incorporated. Donovan McCrary played Ricky at age 10. He was in Family Matters and Sister Sister. And Jesse Lawrence Ferguson, who died in 2019, played Officer Coffee. He was in Dark Man and Prince of Darkness. Trey is sent to live with his father, Furious Styles, in tough south-central Los Angeles. Although his hard-nosed father instills proper values and respect in him and his devout girlfriend, Brandy, teaches him about faith, Trey's friends Doughboy and Ricky don't have the same kind of support and are drawn into the neighborhood's booming drug and gang culture with increasingly tragic results.
3: This is Los Angeles, gang capital of the nation. It just goes on and on, you know. (sighs) That they don't know, don't show, don't care about what's going on in the hood. In South Central LA. Yo, Bernice, let's do the local thing. It's tough to beat the streets. What am I supposed to do? roll up, try to smoke me. I'm going to shoot the You have to think, young brother, about your future. No you know why you me? You're my only son, and I'm not going to lose you to no bull. Ray, don't worry about it. I can take care of myself. Trey wanted to work his way up. Trey is a grown man now. He is not a little boy anymore. I heard you like Mr. GQ Smooth now. Maybe some of what you got to rub off on him. Ricky was looking for a better life. I want to do something with my life, all right? I want to be somebody. When you were a little boy, you used
0: to run around here all the time with that football in your hand. I always knew you would amount to something.
3: Doughboy was living by the laws of the street. What you looking at, We got a problem here? We got a problem? Here? Can we have one night where there ain't no fight, and nobody gets shot? It's hard to be a saint in South Central L.A. I don't understand why you insist on learning things the hard way, Trey, but you're going to learn. How to survive a South Central. Rule number one. Get yourself a gun and then South Central. That's how you survive. Rule number two. Don't trust nobody, especially a girl with a hooker's body. Rule number three. Take your life for granted. Is this the craziest place on the planet? Something wrong? Something wrong, yeah. It's just too bad you don't know what it is. Let's throw
0: you it is. Only the first verse. Stop my boy. You this the boy Q and Lian is gangster, homie. I'm gonna lose my hat, tilt you back, and stop with it getting ready to count. Hey, yo, Q!
1: I'm going to start kind of a two-pronged question. The one we usually normally start off with is, uh, how does this movie make you feel? But also, um, is this the first time you saw this movie? So let's double duty on that one. Is this the first time you've seen this movie? And how did this movie make you feel watching it? Dennis, why don't you start off?
2: You start with me because I'm, um, and one of the, you know, it's it, this, I have to, again, admit that I hadn't, I have not seen this movie recently. I was trying to see it over the weekend and my daughter came home and we were then going to watch it together. We didn't get a chance to, we'll probably actually end up seeing it tomorrow. So it'll be interesting doing the podcast first and watching it as well. So I'm going based on my, you know, limited memory of, of when I first saw it. Um, what I remember is it, it, it to me, it strikes a similar feeling of in some ways, frustration, Um, almost like watching the movie traffic is what I would, there's a certain traffic feel to it. In my opinion, a very tough, complex situation that can seem hopeless and frustrating and infuriating and everything else. So it's a mixture of all that type of stuff. So that's my feeling back then. And I'm very curious to see what I feel when I watch it, you know, probably tomorrow, because I'll have a little more time tomorrow. So going into this, it's going to be a lot of me also listening to you guys and then going back and, you know, and I've got like, I, I remember the basic uh, plots and stuff. That's particular scenes and details. I remember everything. But so, yeah, but that would be my feeling. The frustration um, sort of type of thing of, of a complex situation. Well, it was what about
3: the first you? time yeah. I'd seen it. I'd heard of it and I knew of the movie, but I hadn't seen it at all. Until this past weekend. Um, Frustration is a really good word. Futility. I felt a lot of that, you know. Um, So, I know futility is not really a feeling, but that's like the, the, what you walk away from it. Thinking about.
0: Yeah. First time, first time for me too. And, uh, or I'm sorry, what am I saying? No, I've seen this before. This is, this is probably like the second or third time I've seen it with this movie, but the me too, what I was going to say is kind of like you said, like that, that, uh, uh, you know, feeling of, you know, you know, just watching this, that it just seems like an endless cycle. And, uh,
1: I'd say the reaction I got after seeing the film would be just overwhelmed yeah, this was the first time I had seen this one. Um, I feel like I'd seen bits and pieces here and there from time to time, but you know, never, never enough to really say I could have I've seen the movie. Um, I'm kind of along the same lines as you guys. That was the first thing when I was watching it the other night. Um, my wife was actually down painting the basement, uh, so she she wanted to paint the basement. She's like, "Okay, you stay up and watch the dog. I'll paint the basement because I just want to." okay, that's fine. Um, so I'm up there watching movies and she came up with about maybe half an hour left to go in the movie. And, um, you know, so I I paused it for a second and I was like, well, I can finish this later if, if you don't, you know, want to, you know, come in with only half an hour left to go. She's like, no, just, just kind of tell me what happened up to this point. I'm like, well, (laughs) (sighs) <laughs> <sighs> there's a lot
3: <laughs> yeah that, that's a rough catch up
1: <laughs> so then uh, so the, we kind of finished the movie and, and you know you finish the movie and you get to the ending and obviously we'll, we'll talk about the ending here in a little bit but um, you know you get to that and it kind of the movie comes to an end and I think we both just kind of turn to each other and like the fact that this movie came out 30 years ago and yet could have been made yesterday and it's still just as relevant and you know that 30 years before this movie was made. Well, it, we just got done, you're recording our other episode for the French connection and we talked about the beginning of that movie and kind of the police brutality in the beginning of that movie and, and the way that they, you know, the way that other races were treated in that movie. And, you know, it's kind of a depiction of, of a version of New York. Um, yeah, I think, I think you guys have all hit it on the head. It's, it's frustrating. It's maddening it's you like have a yeah I think exactly you, you have a sense of helplessness it's like how does this stuff stop like and I think that's what this movie does a good job of doing without being uh, you know I, I think it has I don't even want, I don't want to say preachy the movie's not preachy it has that moment in the middle of the movie where it it's it's almost a, a little bit of a direct, almost like a lecture to the audience when they're standing in front of that billboard and furious styles is kind of going through, you know, why do we have liquor stores on every corner? Why do we have, you know, all this, why do we have gun shops on every corner? This is why I feel like that's the one moment in the movie where it kind of directly tells you what the movie is kind of about, but then the rest of it, it's just, it's just showing you what it's like for these kids to grow up this way.
0: That I don't think, <clears throat> I, I mean, I think that dialogue point that you brought up or that dialogue piece, I think it was like, you, I don't know. Did you say it was like, hev- not heavy handed? How did you describe it? You said it was like the one
1: part where it was more, it, it was a little bit, I mean, it felt a little bit like it was lecturing to the audience. Yeah. Like, and, and I don't even want to say that in a negative way. It just like the rest of the movie, everything was implied. And in that scene it was, well, now let me just tell you for the next three minutes, You know what i'm really trying to what we're really trying to get across you know the the purpose of this movie maybe
0: well i think it articulated some semblance of like a way forward you know i mean at least that's kind of what what i took away from it was that you know that they were just trying to you know like like there's no clear-cut path and there's there's no oh just do these three things and it'll all magically everything will be better But that at least articulated, you know, a direction to move forward together kind of thing. You know, and I mean, that scene even went on that it had, you know, the older gentleman was there and then the kids just hanging out on the street corner were there. And it it kind of even showed how 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 those two facets of society need to need to come together,
1: Mm -hmm. you know. Well, I remember when I, when I first started watching this the other day um, and I, I hadn't read up any notes or anything on the movie before watching it. I did all that after the fact for this one. And the very beginning of the movie, I'm like, is this like a remake of Stand By Me? Like right? know, we got the kids walking down the railroad tracks. They're they're going to go see a dead body.
3: Want to see a dead body? Yeah, yeah, the I guess whole- I
1: wonder if it is. And then I read up later on. It's like, yeah, that was a that was kind of a direct, um, you know homage to Stand By Me was was that whole part of it but a very different experience than kind of what you get with Stand By Me you know these kids live in a very different neighborhood and yeah
3: but yet at the same time kids still being kids Mm -hmm. like it was it was an interesting like there's a word that fits here that I'm not coming up with but it was that kids are kids are still kids. And then you see what happens after that. Mm-hmm. And you realize that that's where the similarities ended.
1: Yeah. A parallel.
3: Thank you. You're <laughs> yeah.
1: It's been a rough one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. What did, uh, so, you know, when, when we talk about movies and we talk about kind of what makes them memorable, um, and what works with the movie. And, and we can kind of dig into some specific scenes too, but um, what is it about this movie? When when you say, when you each said, you know, kind of how this movie makes you feel, um, what is it that made this movie, if you've seen it before or now having just seen it for the first time, what's most memorable about this movie? Like what works? Whether it's, whether it's to give you a strong reaction, whether it's something positive, whether it's something negative, like what's, can you point to one or two things and say, that, like that's what is memorable about this movie for me. That's what hit me most when I watched this movie.
0: The th- for me, the three dimensional characters that are so uh, realistic is going to sound like you know so I'm an expert giving it a like a, a movie grade or something like that. But the, the characters seemed very alive and very real. Um, and then. The depictions of, of the gun violence. I mean, that was, uh, that was also very, very jarring, but I think the idea, you know, the, the characters, you know, and they were all flawed in one way or another, but, uh, like we all are, you know, but, uh, they, they just seemed like very real, very believable, uh, uh characters that made you care about them.
1: Well, and I think that, um, if i'm remembering correctly i think that john singleton said that he based this off of his life growing up and that Mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of what you see from trey was him growing up Mm -hmm. and that each of the people you see in this movie you know doughboy and ricky and it was all kind of based off of people he knew you know growing up in his neighborhood so i mean that you know i think having him having him uh, write the movie and direct the movie. I mean, I think you get, that's why your characters are so well-rounded because he's basing it off of, you know, his real life experience.
3: He's got a great quote about that too.
1: Wasn't he like 22 or 23 when this came out? He was the, the one thing I read and I'm, I'm going to blank on how old he was. He was the, was he the youngest person ever to win best director? Might've been. <laughs> yeah let's see he won best director no he was nominated nominated for best director and best original screenplay maybe he was the youngest person nominated I thought he was the youngest person to win but hmm okay yeah I'm not sure either Either way yeah he was like I feel like he was like 23 or 24 at the time which just makes me wonder what I've done with my life.
2: Well, I think yeah. it, was, it was for a part of it is from what I remember also sense from like his film school script or something project Ooh. that he was writing on. So he was do, he was working on it as something else initially, and then it developed into a further mm-hmm. so, I mean, he was in film school starting this. So yeah, he's, he was really young and then I'm sure it got a working over and development and polished and.
1: Yeah. I will say, for me, one of the main one of the things that probably impacted me the most is is a tiny little detail, but I think the way it was used was was done so perfectly. Um, there's almost not there's almost not a moment there's almost not a moment of silence until you kind of get to the end of the movie and you have like the the tragic ending of the movie then it's kind of silent at that point. But throughout the rest of the movie, you're hearing gunshots. You're hearing, Mm -hmm. I I think the one thing that kind of impacted me the most was the constant helicopters with searchlights. (laughs) Like in all those scenes where something is either something intimate is happening or something that should be quiet or should be a private moment. You've got through through the blinds of the windows, you've got helicopters coming by with searchlights shining down. And I'm like, that kind of, to me, that's, that's one way that the writer and director is just trying to get across the idea that you can't, or, you don't get a moment's rest.
2: Like a war zone. Yeah. It's a bit like war zone. And it also remind me of a little bit of the feeling of like the Terminator,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you can't let down your guard. Yeah. So what about like the... The characters, the acting. So, Pat, you said that they were kind of well rounded three dimensional characters. What was it like for you know, Bo and Dennis, too? What, what kind of you know, for the characters themselves, what is it that made these characters well-rounded?
0: well rounded? Uh, well, for me, you know, it was their imperfections, and they, they seemed like real people trying to make this make just live their lives, right? They seem like real people just, just trying to get by. And, you know, there was some, there was some real, yeah, no doubt bad stuff going on. And there was that one mom with however many kids that like, they were always running in the street everyone in the neighborhood knew just take the kids, you know, and it was just like, keep your kids out of the street. But like, is that like, what kind of a future is that going to be? You know? Um, the furious styles character, just like from a young age, like, yeah, you have to, you know, here's my example. You know, you, you gotta, you know, teaching his son responsibility, teaching his son how to behave, you know, then when he's getting older, telling him like, you know, anybody can make a baby, but uh, you know, to be a father, that's, you know, and all that kind of thing. And, you know, raises his son with the idea of, of, you know, accountability and, and all those things that, you know, he was a, a incredibly, you know, he's an intelligent, well-read guy and he's trying to imbue his son with all these things. And, you know, he sees what's going on in the neighborhood and he's trying to, you know, change that too. So, I mean, he, that character stood out, you know, all the kids that are like trying to grow up, but also grapple with this situation around them, a situation that I've never had to, to face, but even the characters, you know, even like, um, Ricky's half brother, Ricky's brother, he he was um even he, you know, he had a moment of like introspection where he's just like, Man, you know, I, I I gotta turn things around. I gotta do this, you know, I got like he got it, right? And um, well, did he get it? But I, I mean, do you know what I'm saying? Like the, all the characters had struggles. I mean, and even when he, you know, he went to live with his his dad, you know, his dad and mom were still fighting over him. Well, you're letting him go out with this girl or you're letting him do this or whatever the heck he wanted to do. And it was like, well, he's a grown-up now. You know, he's I gotta trust him to make his decision. No, that you know, they were real people having well, and like we said, you know, they real problems that that I think any, you know, couple would have, but then it was problems that Not every segment of society has to deal with. And like you alluded to before, the fact that 30 years ago and now we're, you know, as a society still all trying to work our way through this. Um, Wow. And so that's, I guess, you know, I kind of, my thoughts kind of went rambling, but that's what, what stood out for me with the characters is they just seem like real people with real problems and dealing with them in a real way, you know?
2: And and I mean, I'm gonna. I mean, I don't, I didn't use necessarily the words rounded because I didn't, you know, like I said, it's been a while since I've seen this. I do remember based on like just jogging my memory with some scenes and clips that I had seen already just recently, just to be like, okay, do I remember this? I remember this character because I had to put names and faces of the characters and then I remember the plot and I remember basically what happened. I'm like, okay, I remember, you know, pieces started coming together, but I do want to see it, like I said, together as a full, you know. And then I maybe have a a different opinion on like the characters of like a more like maybe it is well-rounded. But what I remember it being was to me, I felt like the characters were very similar to in this. Maybe it's a stretcher, but I felt when I say similar, I meant the way the writing style and who they represent and what they represent was it was to me was a little bit of breakfast club and the fact that breakfast club had the, the jock and it had the this and it had these people and you see that you know trey is the one who's got the the moral kind of thing on his shoulder of being you know there's somebody trying to guide him out of this you've got doughboy being he's the one who's the, the thug lifestyle you've got the guy who's got the potential for a scholarship so they're a little bit of a not a caricature representation Of real lives, as I guess what I'm saying is that there's real lives that are all facing those. And they, he wrote these characters to represent each of those, you know, pieces. Um, So they all sort of play a part that I kind of already, when I say no, knew of. And it's like, okay, this is the guy who has the potential to be an athlete or a scholarship or whatever, what's going to happen to him. Here's the guy who's the guy who's struggling with all of this. He's got friends who are on, you know, and then you've got the one who's the pretty much gang lifestyle guy who's already in full, full, you know, on that then you got the the father figure who's trying to make a difference you know like so to me it was a little bit of that when i say that the character and and i'm not saying that's a bad thing i'm just saying that's how i perceived it like okay he plays this part he plays this part he plays this part and now all these characters represent other people who are real people um and they're representing their stories that's kind of how i saw it like a little bit of that uh just the way breakfast club had to represent the you know the nerd um the jock, the, 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 the stoner, the, you know, like each of those characters in that neighborhood, which is the school, and they're all written in to portray a character in this neighborhood. So, and again, it'll be interesting to see when I watch it all the way through again. Maybe I'll have to chime in on the, I don't know, something later.
0: Yeah, and I, and I don't, like, and I wouldn't say, like, for me, I wouldn't say that the, I don't know if well-rounded is the, term i'd use to describe the characters just because you know well-rounded would in my mind yeah. somehow sets it up that like you know they're balanced they got stuff figured out they're yeah. you know That's and so yeah I, I i yeah so i don't think i would use well-rounded with the characters i think developed believable they um depth to the character three-dimensional right is, is how i'd describe it you know kind of just describing a a different way but yeah I hear what you're saying, man.
2: And, and, you know, and things that came out about the kid, and that's why, and I, like, I, you know, when I refer to the breakfast club being that it's like these kids were thrown into this situation because of a detention. So it brought them all together where they maybe wouldn't normally be together. And my question, my wondering about that. And I don't, you know, like I said, fully know um, that experience is: would those five still be hanging out at that age or would those paths have already twisted you know what, you know what I'm saying? Like for the one who, but he comes back into that world from what I remember. So like, he's gone. Correct. And again, I got to, you guys probably, you just saw it. So, you know, but like Trey is away from them and comes back. Correct.
1: As a uh, like 12 year so, older, yeah. older. Well, it kind of, it kind of skit. Cause he moves into the neighborhood when he's 10. Yeah, Because uh, he'd been living with his mom and then he goes to live with his dad when he's 10. So that's when they kind of all meet like the okay. doughboy and Ricky and uh, what were some of the other? Uh, Dookie, I think was one guy's name. And uh, there some Chris, I think was one of the. Um, and so they were all friends. And then he moves into the neighborhood, though they knew him from before because he'd come stay with his dad on weekends sometimes or during the summertime. Yeah. So they knew him. And then they have that experience at age 10 where they see the dead body, the other gang, the older kids, you know, beat them up and take the football and, um, and then it skips ahead seven years. And that's, that's my, yeah. That's and I that's, and that. when it, when it skips ahead seven years, it's, um, Doughboy just got out of prison. Yes. So he's the one that's coming back. So Ice Cube's character, Doughboy, really he's
2: been with them the whole time. And I guess yeah. my, my only, when I say, I don't know if it's, um, it's not a disbelief. It's not, it's what, is, what's the term of that? Is that based on what I know of, of some people in, 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 real situations like that in, in the Chicago area and things like that is from 11 to what are they now about 17, about 17. Like 18, yeah. right? So that's six or seven years and Doughboy goes into the game. You know, one's going with the sports and one going to the college. And and I do know certain situations where obviously that can happen, but I feel like they would have almost either parted ways or melded more together into that. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. would Trey still be hanging out with somebody who's a gang person that whole time through, or at some point would he've made a decision to either split from that or join it, you know, or would they, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. that's that, like during those high school years, we've all gone through that where, you know, these people started to go this direction, and you mm-hmm. kind of pull away from certain friends. And I just wonder—you know—they were friends throughout all that with very different kind of parts that they were playing in this. One was very more more mature and responsible. One was the gang person. One, you know, so what I'm saying is, one was crime yeah. and you know, like into the kind of crime and, th- and so. Usually, if you're with people at that point, as you start to form your your identity, I would think that you would have either had melded with them and gone that same route or you would have been like i need to separate myself from there and i and i guess maybe this is what kind of they're trying to explore i just feel like when it goes from 11 to 17 during those six years i feel like that process would have already played out Mm -hmm.
1: well i mean you do kind of get a sense that because the only i think the only time you ever see them at school is the scene where they're taking the SAT test Um, otherwise i don't think you see them at school i don't think you see them in other Situations like the only other times you see, because they always talk about how um, Trey has like this nice job at the mall where he can buy the nice clothes and everything else. But otherwise, (laughs) every almost every other time you see him, they're just hanging out on the street. So I think it's just because they're neighbors, and that is probably what keeps them together being from the same street in the same neighborhood. Um, Yeah. But yeah, otherwise, I mean, the thing you, you do get a little bit of a sense that. You know, Trey is a little bit separate from everybody because he works a job, whereas it doesn't really seem like some of the guys are either working a job or they're not working a job that's you know above the books kind of a deal. Yeah. Um, and they're
2: like I remember a scene where, um, and again, I'm you know a lot has come back. But I remember like with uh, um, um, Fishburne's character uh, mm-hmm. Furious, Furious, yeah, like you know about breaking the leaves or mowing the lawn or something like that, and they're like we make more mm-hmm. money like doing other stuff. Yeah some sort of comment about that, you know, which is, yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think I hear what you're saying, but I think it'll be interesting once you, once you rewatch it, I thought the movie did a pretty good job of showing you exactly what you needed to know in those time gaps. You know, when it would jump ahead, you could pick up on exactly what had been going on. You know what I'm saying? And, and I, I thought the characters gelled together as a as a family or a surrogate family or close friends, you know, I, I thought more of like something I'd read in the outsiders, right. When they talked about, when they talk about the gang and outsiders, right. You know, um, uh, the, the oldest brother Daryl was, you know, very smart, but also the football champion. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know,
2: There's definitely an outside,
0: you know, Mm -hmm. this guy was the jokester. This guy was the one that didn't take anything seriously. This guy had, you know, they all had their personalities, but you know that, uh, they, they all had each other's backs. Like that didn't stop. And that was the same thing that I think you see displayed in the movie is that it's, it's, you know, it's not so much just separate walks of life coming together. It's, Hey, they all grew up in the same neighborhood. They all had to watch each other's backs. They all had to, you know. And he wasn't, I mean, you know, he was technically, well, I don't think he was really even like the new kid because, you know, he had come to visit his dad on the weekends and everything. And everyone in the neighborhood knew Furious and respected him, you know, so...
2: Yeah, it's, it's it, no. And I think I think you're not. And I think and, and maybe I'm just not wording it properly. I, I get, what you, you're, get what you're saying. I was just saying, like, as far as like character development or whatever, as I still also saw them as kind of met, meta, not metaphorical characters, but representative of a certain thing. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, like what you see in, in, in like what you mentioned, outsiders and things like that. So I see them as characters written for a story to send a message. So you have to have this person play this part, this person, mm-hmm. play this part, all, otherwise if they were all very similar in their attitudes and beliefs and they're all in crime, you might not get that opportunity to see what each one would technically be struggling with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, like I guess, and I guess I'm going real life versus, the story is that where it kind of goes more into here's where you write the story for a movie and for Hollywood and for everything else is you have to have those different characters. You have to have the different breakfast club characters. You have to have the different parts of this. But, but I think that in often in real life with those situations, they're almost going to all have a certain same, almost mindset, unfortunately, like if they've gone to a certain route, like if you're pulling the drug, gang route you know they're both like does does is there going to be somebody who gets out of that car you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. like 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 spoiler alert you know like try getting out of the car at the end like is there going to be somebody that can do that still or are they so engulfed into that atmosphere and environment and that warlike war zone that you know do those words sink in from furious Mm -hmm. are they ignored you know i don't like i don't know and that's why having furious starts that that was furious for me it was frustration if you have this guy giving such great very often good good um wisdom and like you said respected but there's a there's that like i think you said that bridging that gap between that generation and the younger generation too is something that needs to come together and yeah I don't, yeah there's just a lot of pieces that i just and again like i said i'm looking forward to watching it and having a more yeah. clear explanation but Yeah.
0: I I thought it was an incredibly well done movie. Like for a director that maybe this was his debut or one of his early, I mean. First major, anyway,
2: at least. Yeah. You know, probably film school stuff, but I think first major, I thought. Yeah. Is that correct, John? Have you looked that up or no? Was it his first?
1: Uh, For, let's see. And was it his first? Let's see. This was, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because yeah, this was his... And, and that was the what I looked up earlier. Um, his nomination for Best Director was... Uh, he was the youngest, and I guess. 24. or Yeah, Orson Welles, I guess, had been nominated Best Director at 26. But he was the youngest. Mm-hmm. Well,
3: let's see.
1: But yeah, in terms of his movies... Um, director in terms of director boys in the hood is the first one yes yeah because he's got boys in the hood and then poetic justice is his next one a couple years later yeah so i mean that's pretty good for a first to write and direct and this is your first one yeah yeah Well, and that was one of the things, a couple of things that I read was he really tried to like, he tried to elicit real reactions from the actors. So it sounds like some of the stuff was kind of, you know, he, he did a few things in this movie without telling the actors that Yeah, like
3: fired weapons,
1: Yeah, like gunshots. <laughs> like anytime there's a yeah. gunshot sound, he didn't give them a heads up. It was going to happen. So anytime they react, it's a real reaction to hearing gunshots. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that it definitely make you jump. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think one of the things when you get to, I mean, you you go throughout the movie, and, and like you guys have said, you get, you you see them. You know, it's kind of this this coming of age story. I mean, when you when you hear or see the trailer, and you think it's going to be a movie about you know kids in gangs in South Central Los Angeles, it's really not. Like, yes, that that is kind of a backdrop of the movie, but it's mostly a coming of age story about a group of friends and what they're dealing with. And Dennis, like you said, it's, it's got the, it's got kind of a stand by me vibe to it. It's got a breakfast club kind of vibe to it. Um, so you can, you can definitely see where he was influenced when he was writing this. Um, the thing that I think by the time you get through the movie and you've got you know, furious, giving the fatherly advice and being kind of the the voice of reason on the street. And I think, um, as one of you guys said, he's he's the only father on the street, really. Um, otherwise, nobody else on the street really has a dad around. Or, if they do, maybe not worth one having around. Uh, one worth having around. Um, by the time you get through the movie, you've had... You know, it's, it's not just a movie that just... The weight of everything bears down on you all the time. There's still funny moments. Like there's still, there's still some hilarious lines in this movie and there's some great moments and there's just some heartwarming moments. And I think that all of that is balanced perfectly so that when you get to the end and Ricky is gunned down, it's just, it just completely breaks your heart when you get to that point, because everything has been balanced. It's not just a, you haven't been hit over the head with the gang stuff, for the entire movie you've seen people's lives for the entire movie and so then when you do get hit with the gang stuff it's i think it's got an even bigger impact because it hasn't been there the entire time it's been lurking the entire time you know it's coming yeah
2: you know it's coming and you're just guessing which one um you know and i think initially i guess trey And then my second runner-up was definitely, you know, was, was Ricky. So I was, I remember that like knowing, okay, one of these two is going to get it and, you know, but you know, it, yeah, like you said, there's a build to it and you know, it's coming.
0: Well, and, and like you said, it's, it just, by extension, it shows that that cycle of violence, you know, Uh, because then, you know, the full spoiler piece is then he went, uh, you know, the, his, the go boy went, got him you know they found him and then he came over and talked to trey and then it's like it'll probably be me well did they edit thing t- two weeks later he was gunned down and actually on the trivia of this and i might be a little off i think the actor that played one of the rival gang members that did the shooting he actually was in a gang and he was gunned down um, after this movie premiered, right? So, I mean, it's just you know, it's words, you know, there's not you know, words to words to describe
2: it. That I do remember that, you know, and that was one thing that I don't know, like thinking back now, because I was able to you could see the end clip on YouTube, and I remember I wanted to see, you know, see the end scene, and you, um. I don't know if I like them having, having us tell him that he was gunned down two weeks later. Mm-hmm. I think that was one, one thing where he already prophesizes it and basically leads to that. Was that enough from, from a film? I'm talking from a completely film standpoint right now. Um, is that as a film thing, I almost like wish that it, it I don't know why, but it, the vibe of it, like him saying he was gunned down two weeks seemed almost not cheesy. What's it? Um, like I, I think not knowing, like, you know that it's going to happen, but you don't know that it happened. Almost is more of a impactful to me. I don't know. You know, I, I don't know. Because that not knowing is like that. You don't know when you're going to do it. Like, that's, that captures more the feeling of, I. you know, from, I've known people who've been in gangs and, you know, and things like that. Like, growing I grew up in Cicero, and it was like, there, you know, so I knew some people who talked about some of that lifestyle, and it was... You know, not not a lot. I didn't like hang out but but I knew. And, and the whole thing is looking over your shoulder, never knowing. You know, and I think like it almost would have been, you know, people wondering, does he get it? Does he not get it? Is mm-hmm. he probably going to get it? You know, versus oh, two weeks later he got it. And they give you the answer,
1: or or even leaving oh, out
2: no, again. I, that's just my point. But
1: yeah, or even leaving out you know the fact that Trey went to college. You know, do you, do you leave all of that open-ended and just and to me, that, that the, the titles
2: at the end make it. And again, I believe me, I am in no position to, I've done nothing um, as far as film and right Like this is a phenomenal film, but I feel like that, that was the only thing on my end that I looked back and I said, it points to it being like a, you know, like an early film of his, a young film of his is those titles at the end. You know, they went to Spellman they went to this and, and he died two weeks later. It was like a nice tidy up kind of wrap up this project where maybe five years, 10 years down the road, maybe he doesn't put those titles in at the end and he just lets that movie end. And you walk away with that, you know, like, and again, I'm going to allude back to traffic. Traffic doesn't say what happened to anybody else there. And I, I, and again, I, maybe I shouldn't compare it to traffic, but like the vibe and the feeling and the kind of like grittiness to it all was there. And with traffic, all those stories, like, you know, um, uh, what's his name's putting you know, he bugs the other house, he walks away and then you see the guy in the state, like you don't get everything tidied up. It just sort of gives you that feeling of a cycle going through, you know, with no answer in some ways, which gives you more of that weird takeaway feeling, which I think is what, maybe they're trying to do we're here tries to tidy up their stories we're walking away and not knowing what happened to them is almost more of a impact than knowing specifically what happened to them he went to college he's brandy went to college and you know and he got killed two weeks later and you know we just don't see it but you tell me it's like i almost feel like don't show it to me don't tell it to me let me wonder what happens to them i don't know that's again that's just a film
0: yeah. what was, and it's interesting though, but I hear where you're coming from and the and the comparison to traffic is as well, but it's almost interesting. Like, uh, you know, when furious was talking to him, when he first, you know, moved into his house, he's like, you know, this is what I'm going to teach you is going to get you through. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, what's going to happen to the guys across the street right. You know, what's going to happen. And then I, I almost saw the, the little placards at the end the, the little title sequence at the end is it kind of showed um, that was just kind of an extension of that. Like, this is what you've got to do to be successful or to, to, you know, you know, get out of this situation. So yeah, I hear what you're saying, but yeah, I, 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 you know i didn't have that same reaction you know it was uh to me it just kind of confirmed what the the message that i took from the movie you know it just kind of confirmed it it just kind of
2: and that's what i'm saying is i don't know if i needed the confirmation that's all, and that's just an artistic decision. And if yeah. John Singleton was alive and I were able to ask him that question, I would. Yeah, say you'd ask. That yeah, be- the film five years later, ten years later, now, would you? Do you feel like you would have kept the subtitles in or taken them away? Mm-hmm. Or is there anything you regret about making this movie? It was your first one, and it's phenomenal but going back, it's like, it's like looking at the band director, just kidding. Um, <laughs> you know, I look at that and you know, there's some scenes I cringe on going, man, if we would have done this better, like this scene should have been better. The audio should have been better. Like you look back and you go, Oh, we shouldn't have done that. We shouldn't, have, you know, like there's stuff that you look back and you say, I wouldn't have done. So I'm wondering him being his first film, he's entitled to, a uh, uh, what's the term in golf, you know, whatever. Um, Mulligan. Like, <laughs> yeah, Mulligan to go back and say like, man, you know, and, and he kind of did movies like that, similar where he did The Four Brothers, I believe, and, you know, things like that. Not not the story exactly, but the same sort of, like, you know, a gang of guys. And, uh, I wonder if he would have, what what would his criticism of his own film be? I would have loved to have seen that. Like, what would he have done differently? Just curious to see what he would have thought. Would he have kept those up? And that would have been one of the questions I'd ask. Would you have confirmed it for people, or would you have let them, do you think that it would have been maybe a, a more effective not confirming? I don't know. But there's so many other good things. I mean, like, again, and that's not a criticism in sense of like, I think it's bad or anything. I just personally, when I look back at that, and I don't even think I thought that back then. I just, when I watched the end clip and you see it, I was like, that remi- reminded me of something where I was kind of like, hey, it tells us what happens. Or, or now the older me would have thought, um, leaving us with some some wonder about what happened versus knowing what happened might be more effective. I don't know. I do love the that ending climax scene where it's like, where everything's, you know, you're getting a reveal of the, the SAT score, everything's building, and they you're seeing them mm-hmm. driving the car. I love the the, the complete cut from um, where Gene, where, like, I think it's great, those, what do you call them? The, bo- ba- how do you say them? Um, the, those, you know, the the Chinese uh, balls, that the metal, um, that you hold them on hand and rotate, mm-hmm. exercise balls, yeah. or health balls, whatever they call them, meditation balls. Yeah. So it's kind of like he's sitting there. Yeah, well, I, there's a term for him. It's like, what are they? something with a B it's like boat boating or babe. I forgot what they're called, but something like that. We, I actually have a pair of my brother I, bought.
1: Well, I, I spent, day. I spent two and a half hours during a three hour administrative meeting using them you today. Mm-hmm. I've got a
2: set. Like my brother bought all of us. Like it's like, yeah, my, one of my, sits up in the thing and they're painted and stuff. It's pretty cool. It bouting uh, or something. Yeah. Bow, yeah. Bow, I was going to say boat boating, bouting. Yeah. Yeah. Is it
1: bowding? Yeah. I'm probably pronouncing it
2: wrong but yeah yeah so I love how it's just like you see him sitting there and that's his sitting there in that chair just doing that. And then it's all of a sudden they cut to the loading of the gun. And then it's, to a Trey's face. And then it's to the reveal of the SAT and it's like all these things just kind of climaxing, like building to this climax at the end, you know, and then you're wondering, is Trey going to get out of the car? Is he going to get out of the car? And then you're like, you're hoping he gets out of the car, but he's naked. Or is he going to get shot? You know, that's what I was thinking the first time was, is he just going to be the one who gets shot here? And it just, you have this sense of impending doom to a certain degree. Um, so, but just, I think it's, yeah, it's just, it's a, I love the climate. I just don't like that. Like maybe now I just don't like the, the, the text at the end, but just personal preference. Mm-hmm.
0: The Music was phenomenal. Oh yeah. Yeah. We didn't yeah. talk about the music yet. The yeah. music was incredible. Like the tunes that they brought in, um, the tunes that they brought in, um, as well as, uh, is it, is it, is it, is it, Clark, I think, is the composer's name. It's, it's I forget his first name, and I apologize. I'm I'm seeing you it go was, to the uh, Google. Stanley Clark. Stanley Clark. Uh, yeah, I. <clears throat> yeah, what he did just so encapsulated every scene with with his score, and um, um, so yeah, that was one thing that I really, really keyed into was just like the music, the the tunes that they selected, as well as the um, music specifically composed for the, for the film.
2: So. I would have a quite like, I, I mean, I, I didn't see your questions darn it. Maybe it's not one of them, but what's what, what I'm going to go back to Bo saying the futility, which again, I think I said frustration and then I agreed with you on futility. um, Utility is what a sort of uselessness, senselessness type of, or like that type of thing. This um, is good. My, I guess my question would be, and again, I wish I could ask Singleton or I don't know if it's out there in an interview, probably is somewhere, but is there, what, what is the ultimate message of, of his film? What was, what was he saying? Was it just a like traffic? I felt like, you know, there's that, and again, I hate to just keep comparing it to, but there's this, it, it brings up a lot of points and things to think about. But is there a message here? And with him confirming things at the end, did he want to send a message to it? Like, here's a way out of this or it is a cycle that's endless. Or did he give us his ideas of what the way to break that cycle is like? Is there a message that you got out of this for that type of situation for that 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 they're in? Is there a, is there a life lesson message that he's that he's ultimately trying, if there was one takeaway what would be there? or a couple takeaways what would that message be for
0: for me it, it was it was like um, I think the message is hey this is going on for me personally for you know for pac and gallo you know I think like that that is not a uh, anything that I grew up even really being aware of. And I think that was it. Like, Hey, this is, this is happening. You know um, you know, and the first thing is like, you, you know, you be aware and I'm not even, I'm not going to be, <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to be very, I'm going to try to be very careful listening audience. Cause I don't want to sound like, you know, I see the movie. And now I'm an expert. Like, I'm just trying to say for me personally, my takeaway was like, it was like a bullhorn saying, this is, Well, I'd love to say this was going on because it's a 30 year old movie, but this is going on. And and I think like Furious, uh, uh, Furious's character, you know, when he had that line and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to mess it up. But it's just like, you know, the the problem is you can't even see that there is a problem or, you know, if you don't see what's going on, then that's the you know, like that. And I'm messing up the line. But um, I think that was. That was the message that I got.
2: You know uh, just an awareness of this is the situation. Is there a message maybe a like, reminder because then then again, like cause then I start to think who is the target audience? So was the target audience for the, all the people in that situation uh, who aren't aware of that like you might not have been? Is it just to expose them to this is the situation or is that written to the people in the situation that he knows? Answer C, all of the Same above, message. I think. But I think all it of the is. above. Okay so, if it is, okay, so if it's written to people who are living in that kind of ghetto, gang-infested you know, sort of situation, drugs and, 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 and all those different pulling in different directions and stuff, what's his message to them? Because if they're, you, you get what I'm saying? Okay, if he's writing the movie to expose that to everyone who does not know that that exists or is unaware of it, then it's just exposure to it. If you're writing it to the people who are already in it, what would be the point of exposing them to what they're already in? There would be, I would think, a deeper message for that target audience. Does that make any sense? You mm-hmm. get what I'm saying? Like yeah. if you're exposing it to people just to like, here, this is, this is something, this is what, we, what, what, what I've gone through and I want to share that story. Or is it, hey, I'm talking to you who went through it with me or is going through it right now and here's my message. What is that message that he's if there is one maybe there
1: isn't i i would have thought i i can tell you exactly what his main message is because i found the uh i found Mm -hmm. a quote from him where he actually said my main message is this um for me watching the movie i think i would have thought that at least one of the main messages of the movie is um you know a almost a plea to end any kind of black on black violence you know, the the whole thing of what, what is um, what does furious say when he tries to shoot at the intruder and uh, little Trey says, oh, man, you should have you should have hit him in the head. Should have got him should have aimed higher or something like that. And he goes, no, no, because then all that would have done would have been to, you know, he says something to the effect that all that would have done would have been to contribute to the killing of another brother. And so mm-hmm. I, I think that's. For me, watching the movie, that's what I came away with as one of the main messages is we should be, you know, we should be in this together. And as he has that kind of that lesson in front of the billboard in the middle of the movie, it's, hey, we're not... Other other people in our neighborhood are not the bad guys here. The bad guys are the ones that put the liquor stores in our neighborhoods. They're the ones that, you know, put on the news that all we're doing is selling drugs and that we're killing people and and all this other stuff. And so I would have thought in watching the movie, that's what I would have said is is one of the main messages. But, um, John Singleton himself said, and I got a, a direct quote here, the film has a lot of messages in it, but my main message is that African-American men have to take more responsibility for raising their children, especially their boys. Fathers have to teach their boys to be men. The audience will be able to see the directions that the characters take when there's an absence or a presence of fathers in their lives. Wow.
2: And I, you know, I've not seen that interview and I, you know, and again, you know, we all have to be, I'm like, I feel like I have, especially with the way things can get out. And I, I, I feel like that's furious. Like that, that is that character's position in this film is to intentionally put that one, the fact that, like you said earlier, there's nobody else with fathers there. And who's the one kid who survives is the one who really has that father figure there. And that was the message that I felt like he's kind of hitting there. And, And that's why, you know, I'm asking like, what did we get out of? We got more exposure to that environment, but would somebody who is in the situation get the message that he just said without him explaining it?
1: Yeah. You know, you would hope
2: because it's there. I do see it. And that's why like just him. And again, going back to that scene where he's, I I love the last climactic scene where it's just, he's sitting there It's kind of like the father going, I can't live his life for him. I've given him as much wisdom and as much guidance as I can try to teach him those lessons that I can. I'm hoping he does the right thing as he's sitting there and he's not sure, you know, there's a stress on his face and, and there's no, I think when they come back, there's like no words spoken when he comes in the house. Really? Don't they just go to their rooms? They, yeah. They just go to their separate rooms. Yeah. And there's like no, you know, no mm. cheesy, Hey, you did the right thing. It's just kind of like, almost like he didn't have to. He's like, okay. And again, I have to watch this and, and get that full scene again. But, um, like I, like, like there's a sense of relief that today he listened to me and hopefully he will do it in the next time and the next time, and next time. But he got out of that car and, and yeah. And to me, that's sort of the t- And then look what, and that's why then does the title make sense? And that's why I asked about that title too, is because is that message at the end, the title? And, and again, I'm trying to word, <laughs> it's a tough one, trying to word this, like the right way with, again, not sounding, let's see. Pat, if you're not the target audience, okay, which according to what he just said, the main message of John Singleton's film is not geared towards you. Mm -hmm. Uh, while, while there's many messages and that may be one of them, it's Mm -hmm. not towards you. It's not towards me. It's towards Mm -hmm. everybody else in that situation. So now those titles, that's why I'd love to see his thing from a film standpoint. I'm going as that person who's outside of that situation, watching it, I would almost be more profoundly affected by not knowing those titles. But if the message is towards people in that situation, those messages are these two people who had the most whatever the best made the best decisions and then listen to the guidance of that father they're alive and they're in college and they're doing mm-hmm. well and they're out of this cycle and doughboy's dead you know yeah and That just throws it right back in their in, in someone's it, face it, it, it's the it's the conclusion the what do you want to do from now on do you want yeah, to, it's you, want, you know what i'm saying yep yep it's That's the conclusion of the player for me was huge yeah. because i'm like did did he make the film for us? Did he make the film for the, who do you make the film for? When I say us people, not in that situation versus people in that situation, living it versus people who are just being aware of it. So anyway, I don't know if I'm wording, wording it right. So sorry.
0: (laughs) No, I I was just saying, yeah, I I, I hear what you're saying. And, and especially when you get like John finding that quote there and everything, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's powerful stuff. I mean, it's deep stuff. Yeah. I mean, this'll, this'll, you know, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think it's, I think it was interesting to me that you get such maturity out of a, well, when he was writing this, you know, 22, 23 year old, remember we were talking about regarding Henry and wasn't that one of JJ Abrams first, Yes. movies and we said you know we we felt like maybe that movie glossed over some pieces because he was so young and maybe he didn't have the life experience to really you know pull in everything that 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 story required no not that it was bad but maybe he just didn't have all the life experience to give that story the weight that it needed um, but here you've got a John Singleton who had aged. 22, 23, whatever he is, I mean, his, his message, even at that age is fathers, you, you got to be a father to your son. Yeah. You know, anybody can make a baby. I'm paraphrasing. Anybody can make a baby, but it takes a real man to actually raise him. Yeah. To be a dad and raise him. Yeah.
2: No, and then, no, it's good. I mean, and like I said, I'm looking forward to watching this whole thing in its entirety. I do remember, I believe, also the cop situation. Yeah, um, because that's something that obviously you can, you know, topics of the day. And um, that, from my recollection, I thought it was an interesting. Another question I would ask about this is: is there a specific reason that he made? From what I remember, again, is that the 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 white police officer is actually fairly polite and civil mm-hmm. to them, yeah. and it's the African American police officer that's harsher to him and to them. Yeah, that, he's. That situation.
3: he's quoted as saying he was he was using that to to um showcase the Uh self-hating
2: the self exactly it's an interesting um, it's really a bummer that he had you know passed away because i would love to and maybe there's interviews out there so maybe i'll find them but that would be an interesting thing too of like that decision and what's his message there and 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 it is diffuse it because I i feel like there's a little bit of a um and again, not necessarily that scene, but the fact that he portrayed the African-American officer as a more, what do you want to call it, antagonistic or mm-hmm. kind of against the, him and them to yeah. a certain degree versus the white officer was like to almost say, is there a message of self-determination and don't look to someone else to be the, you know, don't be a victim? And don't don't blame somebody else. Don't blame, you know, other people for it. And not that those aren't factors. I don't think he totally escapes that and doesn't, you know, because he loses. There's there's dialogue in there that obviously points to, like you said, the liquor stores and all the different stuff and why it's shown on the gentrification, there's a lot of that type of stuff in there. So he does cover that. But but he doesn't dwell on it. And, and I think it brings back to his focal point of, like you said, the father situation, the self-determination, you make choices, you know, and, and you can't go blaming everybody else. And you can't just blame the police because look at that's even an African-American police officer who is treating, a, you know, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, is it the uniform or is it what that person sees and deals? Is it that self-hatred, like you said?
0: Well, and, and I read an interview. I read an interview that he had, I think he had given that he was talking about various movies that had come out talking about um, uh, uh, life in, in, you know, high crime areas and so forth. And he brought up the movie colors and, you know, he said that that movie was told from the perspective of, of, uh, um, you know, white police officers. And if I've got this right, you know, he wanted this movie to be from the perspective, you know, all African-Americans, you know, whether it was yeah. law enforcement, whether it was, you know, um, gang members whether it was people just trying to get by whether it was old that was that was the perspective and you know that's kind of like cycling back to your question you know who is the movie for and and i think if i've got the quote right like he said john you know he said it's for everybody but here was my main message and you know and sometimes it's sort of like you know, maybe the, maybe the movie wasn't made for me and that's okay. Not every movie needs to be made for me personally. I can still take, get a takeaway from it, you know, but, uh, that was, that was kind of how I interpreted that is that, you know, these are the perspectives that, that we want represented in this, in this film, mm-hmm. you know, and of course I'm kind of, I'm reading the one quote and extrapolating to the other one, you know, to, you know, so and I, I'm not going to pretend to get inside uh, 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 John Singleton's head with the with, with the thing, but that that would be how I would look at that. As he was just looking for, you know, to to represent those feelings or those perspectives and Perspective. so forth.
2: Yeah, no, And it's like, like I said, it would be nice to get inside. That's why I said that I'm sure hopefully because it was so many years ago that there was enough interviews and things like that where you you can kind of pull it out and and find out some of those things. But, um, and again, I just, you know, any film that I tend to watch, I mean, there's those fun films where, you know, it's just kind of like, this is what it's about. It's an action film. It's a comedy. It's whatever. Mm -hmm. But then when you get into the more serious ones, my, my deeper question and this I'll credit, whatever, I'll blame credit, whatever, like, um, you know, Rod Serling, um, Hmm. there's a message, there's a message there. And I'm always going back to when I watch something, who's the target audience And, and maybe it's from teaching and learning that stuff in my classroom and stuff, who is the target audience? And what is the message being told here. And then is this a complete message? Is it an accurate, you could follow up with all those different things, but it makes you think. And, and sometimes, yeah, you might not be the target audience and you're still going to gain something from that. But ultimately I always come back to still say, if I'm not the target audience, yeah, I got some stuff out of it, but I'm always curious who is the target audience then if it's not me. Like, what is the message? Like I always come back to, and, and I think that's from a writing perspective, John being language arts would probably, you know, who, what are you persuasive or any, like you're, you're, who are you, who are you speaking to? And are you speaking into a way that's going to be effective to them and work? And I guess then that would be the ultimate question. Did the film work? <laughs> and, and I would probably venture to say, yes, it's worked for some people. It hasn't worked for everyone. Obviously, because it's still that cycle goes on because it's such a tough topic to do. But I'm sure that there's probably lives I would venture, and I'd be love to hear people if they've got stories out there who hear this podcast or whatever. But are there people that, because I could see that movie being a life saving movie for a number of young people that were like, whoa, okay, that I'm in that situation, that's me. And like it hit you know, I would imagine that there's that, that effect out there in that type of film. We didn't get that. Like I, you know what I'm saying? Again, coming back to target audience, you watching that Pat probably weren't in the middle of that situation. If you were to watch it 20 years ago and thinking, wow, that's going to make me think differently. You know, you're not in that insane, same environment or same situation yet. You may have had something, so I don't know, but you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, the cool thing about a movie like this is I'm betting that it's, it has saved lives. And there's people who have gone on and chose to be, you know, Brandy and Trey. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately there's still a lot of people who are still doughboy, you know, mm-hmm. and, and fulfilling that, that prophecy, unfortunately, but that's a cool thing. And I think you've made a good movie if you've saved a life, even if it's one. So I think, I think it's a good, great film.
1: Well, I think, I think it's a little bit telling that we're not the target audience for this movie necessarily, because all of our initial reactions were, it makes us feel helpless. It makes us, it seems senseless. It's like, I think every single one of the words we used, and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying this in, in a bad way, but I think the, the way we all our one word that we responded to all this in, we are not the target audience. I think if you're the target audience, this is supposed to be you know, from John Singleton's point, it's supposed to be a wake up call to fathers, you know, to be, to be there, to be present, to be active, to be good fathers in their children's lives. Um, you know, but also I think, and you don't, I don't think you see this in the beginning, but you see, um, you know, I, I think there's a certain degree of maybe trying to evoke some anger, but I don't know, maybe a better term is righteous anger. Like you should be angry about this. You should be angry that you're in, you know, you're, you're in a situation not of your own making, but we got to stop doing some of the stupid stuff. You know, the the killing of each other, the the violence. The I mean, the movie starts with a stop sign. You know, I think that's <laughs> if, if you want a sign, it's right yeah. there at the very beginning of the movie, yeah. and it says stop. Um, and then you don't see. I liked the subtitle of the movie, but you don't see it till the very end. The uh, boys in the hood increase the peace. Um, I don't think that shows up until as it's going to the end credits. I don't think that's anywhere else. I don't think I've seen it on any of the posters. I don't think so. I've seen it. it. doesn't show at the beginning of the movie. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I just think from our initial reactions to this movie, it's pretty clear we're not the target audience to well, this. So, I Well, you even know. at the beginning, isn't there
2: the text titles talking about the statistics of 1 in 21 African-American, you know, whatever, victims of mm-hmm. murder, and then that murder will be, you know, by another African-American, yeah you know, well. Yeah, And that's the beginning. So right there, it's kind of like the wake up call thing and everything Mm -hmm. right there is right in your face too. So again, you're clearly as a white suburban male, you know, you're, you're not, I'm not the target audience Mm here. You kind of get that vibe. I think
1: that that scene, well, that scene where he's kind of preaching in front of the billboard, that might be, I could almost see part of that as being the wake up call. If you're not, you know, an African-American watching this movie, if you're middle-class white male watching this movie, I almost feel like that's part of your wake up call. It's, yeah. Hey, you, you see on the news that our neighborhoods have got uh, gun violence and, you know, liquor stores and all this other stuff. Well, it's kind of, it's kind of the system that put it there. And, and you're a big part of that system. I'm like, okay. Like that's, I think that's probably directed, you know, not, directed maybe at me personally, but directed at a system in which I benefit from. Well, I, one of our last questions we usually ask, you know, kind of about the movie itself and does it hold up 30 years later? I think we've already said that part of the, part of the struggle of this movie is that it was made in 1991. But based on the things that are obviously going on in our country right now in 2021, um, could have been made yesterday. And, and I think it would be just as just as timely. I, I read a couple of different things from actors who were in this movie, um, you know, who were interviewed recently within the last year or so. And they've said the same thing. They're like, I, I feel like John Singleton made a, a timeless movie with this you know that for as long as there are these issues and these problems you could show this movie every year and it's probably still going to be just as timely as it was you know when it first came out um but when we look back at these movies every single movie we kind of look back at and we we say does this hold up 30 years later um we kind of ask this in a couple of different ways um if this movie was being released in theaters today what would be the reason you'd go see it if you saw the movie poster if you saw the trailer what would you what would be your reason if you were looking at the at the movie theater marquee and you were like, I got I'm gonna pick a movie to go see today? What would be your reason for picking this movie? Looking for something thought provoking. Mm-hmm.
2: I fly I kinda will migrate to those type of films. Then films that are gonna get different perspectives, make me think, challenge me, maybe aggravate me, whatever. Once in a while you're in you're you're definitely in that frame of mind for that type of film. So I think that would strike me as one.
1: I think for me it'd be Lawrence Fishburne. I really like him as an actor, yeah. so I think knowing yeah. knowing that he's in this movie and the strength of his character in this movie, I think that would be what would draw me yeah. in to go see this. Mm-hmm. Bo, what 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 gets your butt in that seat?
3: Lawrence Fishburne for sure. Um, topical topical themes. I mean, it, I think. Dennis said thought provoking that's it's something that's going to make me think and make me realize there's a lot going on that maybe I'm not paying attention to
1: yeah what about you Pat yeah
3: Yeah, I, I was just
0: gonna say you know it looks like uh it looks like there's a story or a message from you know um an individual that you know has had a completely different life experience than myself and i think that's important to try and just go and listen and learn from people that have had different life experience from yourself and if if there's well simply put if there's a problem out there then i think it's important to go and try and listen um to try and understand and you know, just be still and try and soak in the message that's that's being put out there. And if it's from a, like I said, if it's from an individual that's had a completely different life experience than myself, I think that only makes it that much more important. So, yeah. I guess that would be, if I saw that movie poster, that's probably why I would go see it. Or if it popped up on my streaming service, that's why I would select it and
1: check it out. Okay. All right. And then our second question, as we kind of ask, does this hold up 30 years later and, and maybe kind of in terms of like rewatchability and things like that? Um, we've talked about this all the time. You know, there's, there's the movies that you catch when it's on streaming or you catch what's on TV. And then there's maybe the the next tier up or the top tier is what movies would you actually go out and buy a physical copy of this? Like what's worthy of the the bow i think you said it one of the last episodes that we did the shelf space if your uh, movie shelf space is at a premium and you're only buying physical copies of the movies that you really know you're going to spend time rewatching this or you just you need to own a copy of that movie would you buy this movie on dvd blu-ray digital or would this just be one that yeah i know it's on netflix so i'll just go catch it I don't see, for me, I don't know that I see rewatching this movie, like not, not that I wouldn't enjoy, No, enjoy might even be the wrong word, not that I wouldn't want to re-watch this movie at some point, because I think I probably would, um, but I just don't know, I, it's it's not one that I would re-watch regularly, so it's not one that I, I mean, the Dennis, as you put it, like it was, it was thought-provoking, it, you know, certain parts made me angry, certain parts made me think. But I think I've got that from the one viewing, and would I watch this again? Maybe in a few more years, sure. But I'm not sure this would be one that would be a uh, you know I wouldn't be buying the physical disc to put on my shelf over here.
2: I would agree. I didn't know if you asked both at first because I was asking waiting for both. Yeah, but that's yeah. what I would I would say the same thing. I wouldn't be buy I wouldn't be buying it but like for me it'll be interesting to watch it again because like i said the the last i've seen scenes over the years because it's been on tv here and there and i've picked up clips and stuff so i remembered enough of it um but the actual whole beginning to end experience all the lines i think will have more meaning that i might not have gotten you know um 20 when i was 20. um you know so it'll be interesting to see now because I've learned a lot of different things or at least have kind of researched and have been exposed to different thoughts and points of view on a lot of different subjects with this type of stuff. And so it'd be interesting to see. So, so I think the gap in time here is nice, but yeah, it would not be on my shelf. It's one that I would be like, when I want to see it, I'll get it from the library and watch it straight through or Netflix or whatever. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it's not. I think we talked about it um, recently where there are movies that are rewatches, but it's not an every year rewatch. So I don't think it. I don't think the shelf space is. Uh, I don't think it takes up that shelf space unless you have a huge library, in which case, go for it.
2: And I, and I don't I don't know if it's necessarily meant to be a rewatched movie. Yeah. You know what I'm it's, like it doesn't have that vibe. It's not Avengers. It's not Endgame. It's not something like right. that. I have some enjoyment and fun watching it. Those type of movies are the ones you can you can put back on and be, you know, cleaning the house and kind of casually watching it. Or, you know, or you sit down, you got the popcorn for this scene, you get up for the other parts and you come back and watch your favorite scenes. It's like, is there really like it's it's an unpleasant somewhat experience? So therefore, you don't want to subject yourself to it too much because, like like John said, you get the message, you get the point, you get impacted. And whatever you get, you can still think about it hours, days, months, weeks after the film. You don't have to rewatch it to necessarily go back and get that same response. So
3: I don't know. That'd be my... Agreed.
2: Yeah. So, not a, not a, not, I'd feel almost weird. Like, oh, I want to say almost like, I almost feel like it would be, it sounds weird, but I feel like it would be wrong to almost just watch it on repeat a bunch of times. Like, hey, I'm not in that life. This is, this is, that's because what it is, is that someone else's real life experience that's becoming just something entertaining for me to watch over again. It almost seems wrong. Right. Versus, I saw it, I get the impact. I need to think about this. This is not fun and games. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like entertainment. It's just a movie that I, I can just very easily just stop and start. Because there's people who don't, can't press
1: pause or stop and start on that right now. To to your point on that, Dennis, what, we're, we're going to do our three questions in this episode a little differently. We're not going to answer the three questions. I've got three questions I'm going to pose at the end here. Um, and that's how we're going to end this one cause I just, I kind of feel this is a heavy topic. It's a timely topic. Um, but something you just said, you know, if you're rewatching this and it's like, Hey, I'm, I'm entertaining myself by looking at, uh, looking at a neighborhood I don't live in. And it's it's for entertainment value. And there was, and and I, I still, I still feel terrible that I did not speak up at the time. Uh, we were in a place one time where there were some other families around and, they were talking about, you know, you know, sometimes their, their kids misbehaving or their kids not being appreciative of what they have. And and uh, one of the parents and, and I still feel terrible that it did not speak up. at the. It just I think it shocked me so much. I didn't know what to say. One of the parents said something to the effect that, well, you know, when our kids don't value what we have, uh, you know, I, I pop them in the car and I drive them through North Chicago and I, I drive them through there and I, I tell them, hey, at least you don't live here. And I think I was so Uh shocked by hearing that come out of a person's mouth that I didn't say anything. And and I feel terrible that I didn't say anything because I kept thinking about that after the fact and I'm like, dear God, did you just did that just come out of your mouth? And now I wish I had said something, but it's now years later, and obviously I didn't didn't say it at the time, so I didn't you know I, I didn't do anything to help the situation, but I was like I guess
2: my, my question to you then would be, since you have, you know, I mean, you don't have to, I don't want to put you on the spot uh, here.
1: What would you say? What would I say now?
2: Yeah. What would you have said? What would you wish you said? You wish you would have said something. What do you wish you would have said?
1: Well, I, and I probably would need to word it differently. Otherwise I'd probably just make the person angry, but Mm -hmm. I would point out then what you're basically saying is you're, you're basically treating another group of people's neighborhood as a zoo. You know, you're driving through the neighborhood and just looking, oh, look, here's how those people live. Oh, look, it's like driving through a zoo. I'm like, oh, look at the lions and look at the rhinoceroses playing with each other. And, you know, it, I would have said something to the effect that you basically have just taken an entire city or neighborhood of people and you've made them less than people. You've made them something to be looked at and pitied and, oh, thank God we're not them. So I would have said something like that. I would have figured out some, I don't know what I would, obviously I didn't have the words at the time. Otherwise I would have said something, but yeah, even years later, I'm not a hundred percent sure what I would have said, but it would have been something along those lines. Pat, what about you? Would you own a copy of this movie? Yes. Okay. Do you own a copy of this movie? I think
0: I do. Oh, you do. Okay. I think all my stuff is, I think it's down in the, well, as you guys know, it's uh, uh, DVDs and, I, are kind of like what I've got. And I still have VHS, believe it or not, but, uh, uh the, yeah, I, be- I got a
1: Betamax tapes you've got.
0: I, I've got a, be- I actually have a Betamax tape, um, <laughs> oh, okay. but, nice. uh, no, but I, um, I, I think I've got a copy of it. If not, like I, um, I, yeah, I, I, I think, and, and to all your points, like, yeah, it's not going to be okay, let's pop this in and, you know, pop the popcorn and all that kind of thing. And it's really, it's funny for me to hear this coming out of my mouth. Uh, because most of the time I watch movies to do that, to pop the popcorn to, you know, what's the great motorcycle chase? What's the, you know, like that's, um, and I don't want to like, I don't want to like, uh, uh, um, roast the entire industry and all that kind of stuff, but it's few and far between that, a that a film will come out and just really, wow, that really just set me back in my tracks. You know, like what, you know what I'm saying? And that, that I'll, I'll go and try and find those movies. Um, and so that's kind of funny that, you know what I'm saying? But I, I can't see myself, Hey, rewatching this movie, just, Hey, what are we going to watch tonight? Let's watch this. But I can see myself like, yeah, you know what? it's, it's time for a rewatch. Let's, let's check this out again, you know? Um, you know, I'd, I'd want to watch it with my kids when they get older. I'd, I, yeah. So, so I could see, yes. I mean, you know, I don't want to get too much into the nitty gritty of the question, uh, you know, itself. So, yeah, I mean, if it's by the time I figure out if I'm going to get a Blu-ray player or, whatever TV, or if it's time to, get rid of my 20 year old DVD player or whatever, by that time, you know, everything will be streaming and all that kind of stuff. So in whatever medium, like, yeah, I, I just, I would want accessibility to it and
1: you know, doesn't, uh, I, doesn't Elon Musk want to put uh, computer chips in your brain? He probably
0: wants to put computer chip. My, my brain is incompatible with computer <laughs> chips. That just doesn't, they don't work right but you know um but no i would i would get a copy of it i'd I'd rent it once a year um Mm. to watch it and and um yeah i was i was uh i was pretty taken with it but i i hear what you guys are saying and yeah it can't it's not a it's not a it's not an entertainment type thing it's not a uh hey this will be fun let's check this out kind of thing um and like I said, that's most of the time when I go to watch a movie, that's why I want to watch it. If I want something else, I'll read it in a book or watch it, you know? Um, but yeah. So yeah. In answer to your question. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to leave our three questions to the end. Um, but I'm going to go through and just kind of give our, our real quick, uh, if you want to, find our website, is 30podcast.com we're at 30podcast on all the different social medias Um, don't forget to check out our sponsor, the rest of the shows in the Scene Stealers podcast network uh, by heading over to scenestealersglobal.com I'm going to put in a shameless plug for my other podcast with the Surely You Can't Be Serious guys uh, the podcast full of kryptonite Uh, we are currently working through the Superman and Lois TV show that's on the CW right now Um, we're going to be doing a recording here very soon on uh, actually by the time this episode comes out we probably will have already done it uh we're doing a recording on Zack snyder's justice league so that's coming out really soon as well and then as that podcast keeps going we're actually going to work through un- unless well, i don't know unless something happens um uh, my plan is to work through every episode of every superman tv show that's ever been made so i think i scared the guys when i told them that because then that means our podcast over there will be going for the next 13 years so (laughs) you know long-term plans are good to have they're good to have you got to keep yourself busy um so our next episode's coming up may again is our crime doesn't pay month um we've got bugsy Uh, The French Connection is coming up as our May Patreon episode. The Last Boy Scout and Point Break. June is Shots Fired Month. That's Ricochet, JFK. Uh, June Patreon episode is uh, The Guns of Navarone from 1961. Uh, Naked Gun Two and a Half, Hot Shots and Toy Soldiers. And then July is Across the Pond Month with King Ralph, The Commitments, Um, Our July Patreon is the Heir to the Empire Thrawn Star Wars Book Trilogy from 1991. And then we finish off July with Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves and Hook. Those are all of our movies coming up over the next few months or so. Um, if you want to uh, if you want to read up on the three Star Wars books we're going to be talking about in the July Patreon episode, then um, I, I think at least my local library has them on the app where you can download the audiobook. So that's kind of what I've been doing because I have less than zero time to actually sit down and read a book lately. So it's it's all audiobooks in the car for me. So that's been a good way to do it. but all right um so I thank you gentlemen for being here tonight I you know sometimes sometimes we get the like the the super uh, easy lightweight movies you know where, where everything's quotable everything's all this and and this one a little bit of a heavier topic so um but just I'm glad that we had a chance to sit down and talk about this one because it was I'd never seen it before and um, you know I watched it and and by the end of it I'm like all right that's one even if I never see it again that's one that's gonna stick with me So, so thank you for being here. Thank you, John. John. Yeah. All right. Well, the three questions, and again, I'm going to leave, and this, this is just because we're not, you know, as a podcast, we, we try not to get political about things, um, you know, and, and try not to go too far down that, uh, that Avenue necessarily. But I just, I kind of feel like I felt like that, um, you know, with everything that's going on right now, um in the world, in the United States. And, you know, this is just the the issues of race and racism and and all of this is just such a a big issue right now. And it's always been a big issue. Um, It just, it's it's in our face a lot right now. And I feel like, you know, I feel like having a podcast and, and having folks that listen to the podcast, I don't feel like I would be, you know, doing enough of my due diligence to to try to help spread this message if i didn't at least take a moment and just share some questions so i'm, I'm not making any statements here um, i'm asking these questions and i'm pulling these questions these actually came from a website uh, called k12 dive um, so it's actually talking about trying to um, develop discussions of equity and anti-racism in schools and so I took those questions and I kind of just, you know, kind of adapted them a little bit to our three questions and we're not going to answer these three questions. This is, I'm just going to leave the podcast this way this time. So uh, well, not queuing any music. I'm just asking the three questions and that'll be the end of the episode. Um, but hopefully these three questions or some of these three questions will start some conversations in in your own houses or your own workplaces or or whatever the case may be. So question number one, do I accept that race and racism are embedded in our society? Question two, how do I engage during conversations about race? Am I listening and talking? And question three, how can I use my privilege or platform to stand up to injustice? So again, we're not going to answer those questions here tonight. I'm just... I'm posing those, I'm putting those out there. And um, hopefully that's that will help start spark some discussions and get some people talking about things. And hopefully from there, it, it spreads from talk to, to action. And I gave my example of, you know, being in a situation where something happened and I felt like I, I should have spoken up and I didn't at the time. And that still eats me up now that I didn't say anything. Because as we've talked about tonight, the movie we we watched and are talking about we don't live in those neighborhoods. We, you know, we, we are four upper middle class white guys. So that's not how we grew up. That's not our neighborhood that we lived in. Now, even if we, even if we might've lived in a neighborhood, you know, somewhat close to that or near that it's, it's still not quite the same experience. Um, And obviously the color of our skin has not been the same experience. So I'm just going to leave you with those three questions and, I'm just going to say, I'm going to leave it with not even go see some good movies. I'm just going to leave it with be excellent to each other.